listening to Talking Law, the podcast where business owners just like you discover how to avoid legal landmines and build value using smart legal tips. Join your host, Joanna Oki, as she cuts through the legal jargon and gives you clear and simple actionable legal strategies, which will get you optimal business results. Hi, it's Joanna Oki here and welcome back to Talking Law, a podcast proudly brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. Now, in today's episode, we're talking about the top tips in business structuring for dentists and medical professionals with Stephen Guthrie. Now, business structuring, I know, uh, hold the phone, not necessarily the most exciting topic on uh, everyone's lips, but we think it's so exciting. We're not just doing one show in this series, but we are doing two. That's right. We've got a two-part series in the top tips in business structuring for dentists and medical professionals. Now, obviously, by the title, this is going to be of particular interest if you have a practice that uh, is engaged in dentistry or medicine or related specializations. But um, this episode will also be just as relevant for you to listen to if you have ever wondered about your business structure and wondered what the hell is the difference between a trust, a company, um, or being a sole trader. And while we're looking at trusts, what's the difference between family trusts and unit trusts? What's the best investment structures um, to use as a business owner? When should we use SMSFs to hold property. Is there a benefit of having a company sit as a beneficiary in our trust structure? So many questions that I know are unanswered sitting out in our audience out there and in this two-part series, we're seeking to answer them all. So notwithstanding that we have a little bit of an emphasis on some of the intricacies of business structuring for dentists and medical professionals, it's super relevant to anyone who is in business who just doesn't quite get what trusts are or structures are or has a question around that. Now, as I said, this is a two-part series just because it's so exciting. (laughs) Actually, it's two-part series because there's really a lot to cover. There's a, a lot to cover in terms of explaining some of the differences in different types of structure, but we also tried to make it super practical by giving you lots of examples so that you can understand where people have gone wrong um, and the example of what good looks like. So I have here on the show for this next two parts, Stephen Guthrie from Prosperity Advisors. Now, Stephen um, is no spring chicken in this area. In fact, he's got more than 20 20 years experience in providing strategic business advice and taxation services. So currently he's a director in the business services and taxation division in Prosperity's Sydney office and he manages a team of professionals who deliver business 
advisory, taxation, corporate assurance and financial services. And he also leads Prosperity's health advisory practice and specialises in providing advice to medical and allied health professionals and their practices. So, of course, is the obvious choice in talking about this topic today. So, let's get stuck into it. Part one of our two-part series with Stephen. Let's go. Hi, Stephen. Welcome to Talking Law. We're really excited to have you on the show today. Yeah, thanks very much for having me along, Jonah. First time for me, so it'll be interesting to see how this goes. <laughs> Fabulous. Well, look, I, I think we're going to cover some really interesting topics uh, here because uh, obviously you and we uh, do a lot of work in it for dentists and medical professionals. And so there's a lot of people who are, uh, you know, advisors who deal with dentists and medical practice. Practices um, or and the the practice owners themselves who will be listening into this podcast. So I think it's going to um, shed a lot of light for them on this area of structure because I think business structures for many people who run a business are a little bit confusing and they really don't understand, you know, you go to your lawyer or your accountant and and you end up in some sort of structure, but they don't necessarily understand A, the structure or B, why they're in the structure that they're in and C, whether it's appropriate for the future and how to determine when those points are that they need to rethink structure for their future plans. Would you say that's correct? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I was sitting with a client yesterday and looking at one of those lovely colourful drawings on a page with boxes and lines and uh, they were completely mystified as to why they had (laughs) unit trusts and companies and family trusts and how it all worked and what it actually meant for them in the future. So it's really important not just to be thinking what the immediate position. uh, So what does it mean now? But planning for that next five or 10 years as to whether what they've got now actually works for them. Mm, okay, wonderful. Yeah, I, I do want to dig into um, some of these areas today of service trusts as well, because, you know, as we know, this is the particular industry space where service trusts, you, you know, can be used quite frequently. So, it's, I, I really want to um, dig into some uh, some of that area as well so that we can explain it, because I think that's really the initial operating entity, but then sometimes um, in this area, there's other complexity, a few other things going on around it. So, let's let's see if we can demystify some of this area. But let's just start with, um, with I guess, general comments on business and investment structures. What's the what's the general approach uh, that you take when when you're dealing with clients in relation to working out um, what structures are available and then what is most appropriate for them? Yeah, so I think it's you know, I take the approach that I need to do a lot of listening up front. I need to ask a lot of questions and really need to drill down with someone on not just what they're thinking at this point in time, but but where where they think their practice or business activities might take them. So, uh, for example, uh, there may be a sole a sole practitioner at the moment, and so uh, we could set them up in a structure which works really well for them and their family, but if they have it in their mind that in two to three years they want to bring in another owner into the business and we haven't explored that up front, then 
we may find in two to three years we have to go through a, uh, an expensive reorganisation mm. just to do something which we could have planned for at the start of the process if we'd asked that question up front. Mm. And uh, like, let's just, you know, making this really real for our listeners, what, what is an example of a structure that might be really good for them initially if it looks like they're only going to hold this structure themselves uh, within their family versus um, something versus something that is more appropriate for bringing partners in in the future? Yeah, so look, a a very typical one we would see would be a family discretionary trust. So kind of almost the vanilla entity in Australia, everyone seems to have a family trust lurking in their uh, group structure somewhere if they've been with an accountant for a while. So family trusts are great in the sense they provide great flexibility to distribute income and assets within the family, but they don't work because when you set up a family trust, you have to nominate an individual within the family from whom the rest of the relationships and beneficiaries are linked. Um, so they don't work with two unrelated family groups. Mm. So, um, you know, I've had a client uh, interstate where uh, they wanted to uh, set up a business which uh, they could see that in two to three years' time, they would want to start bringing some of their uh, associate doctors in as owners. But at the moment, they were um, just going to be within the family. They weren't quite ready to bring in other owners. We made the decision that we would set them up in a unit trust rather than a family trust as the main practice entity. Simply, even though at the start all the units would be held within the family, But in two to three years' time, we wanted a structure where we could start to bring in other owners and issue equity interests in the structure. So it's that kind of, you know, that's an example of one where, you know, the the standard, let's just use a trust structure, doesn't work if you want to bring in other owners. Mm. And the the interesting thing I find um, in dealing with, um, with business owners is that what they think the future plan is today is often quite different to what the future plan ends up being. <laughs> so I, I guess this is here is the difficult thing for advisors as well. It's not even just about, and, and you know, absolutely it's super important to understand what the client's plans are for the future, but also um, to arm them with the understanding that their plans might change. So how, how do you deal with that? Part of it is that initial discussion of making sure that we've canvassed as many of the options and kind of opened their eyes to where the business might go. It's also then a part of our process that on a regular basis, we will revisit the structure. So whether it's annually or biannually, let's just look at where we're sitting. Does this make sense? You you tend not to move from the left-hand side of the of the page to the right-hand side of the page immediately. There's a progression. And so you can see if you look at the structure on a regular basis, you can see where you've perhaps moved your thinking and we need to revisit, does the structure still work? Mm. Um, you know, it's impossible f- to forecast how profitable a business will be, what it will be worth, and so whether you'll qualify for things like small business CGT concessions, what future assets you may or may not have. And so you're going to constantly need to look at your structure and just run a fresh set of eyes over it, not just assume that what we set up three or five or 10 years ago is still the right structure for us. 
Mm. I think that's a really good point. That just this having this point where you come back, you know, and, and it, it makes sense for that to be an annual review because it's one of those things that you could then think of at a particular time frame each year. But coming back in with some sort of regularity to review where you are, what you're in, what what are your future plans now um, and, you know, how, how are you looking in terms of how you set up currently for those now future plans? Particularly if you know you've got a, if you're planning towards an equity event, mm. you need to start two, three years out, make sure you've got everything in place. Now, I love how you say that because this is, um, and we have a whole podcast um, show devoted to planning and buying and selling businesses, the Deal Room podcast, but I, I spend a lot of time talking about the benefits of exit planning. But you know what? It's just sometimes I just feel like I'm flogging a bit of a dead horse because <laughs> <laughs> because I don't know why, but people don't want to know about exit planning until they're actually at the point mentally of exit. Do you find that? Has that ever occurred to you? <laughs> Do you have these issues? Uh, yeah, absolutely. And uh, there are some things that you can't fix on the spot. Mm. And uh, if there is a good deal that's come to you and you know, we don't want to be in the position where you feel constrained to take the deal, if it, even if it means. I haven't planned well for the tax consequences, for example, yeah, of, that, of yeah. that transaction. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, and, you know, industries change. We know dental is going through, you know, interesting changes in its evolution, I guess, from a from a company and an acquisition and exit perspective. But I, I just think it's super important um, that, that owners just think about exit well before it's time that they actually want to think about exit and just make sure everything's properly set up for that. But then I, I also often think maybe you're better off planning for your clients as though they are going to grow and exit in certain ways, even if they don't, because it just it, it just seems that there is this issue of businesses having this idea of small initially and then just not being ready for larger as it appears as the years go on. That seems to me to be one of the most common issues, would you say? Yeah, um, I always like the maximum of uh, planning with the end in mind. So uh, I, tip, I typically try and think of what's the exit process for any structure that yeah. we're, we're setting up because different structures do have quite significantly different outcomes at the end of the process. Yeah, absolutely. And how about, I mean, can you give us just a really quick snapshot or an example of, of what you mean by that? Uh, so an, an example we would see uh, reasonably regularly uh, would be where someone's trying to qualify for the small business CGT concessions mm. and you'd appreciate that there are there are some threshold issues, threshold tests that need to be satisfied before someone can qualify for those. And if you do qualify, then you know you can you can move from paying tax on half the gain to paying tax on none of the gain that you make. Mm. And things like how many owners do you have in the business at the point you sell? Do you have someone who's over 20% or have we diluted ownership to the point where we've got too many owners and we don't qualify for small business CGT? Mm. Or we haven't thought about how we structure our assets so that we fall below the, the $6 million net asset test. Mm. Those, those kind of things which you can manage if you plan ahead you can get to the point of the transaction and realise you've made a mistake and you've cost yourself tax on half your gain, which you might not have needed to have done 
that's an, mm. I guess an example. That's a great example. Yeah, because they're they're interesting discussions. But because we do a lot of work at exit or acquisition, um, but when clients come to us at the point. Uh, clients who are referred in at the point of exit, one of the first questions we ask is, okay, you know, have you sat down with your accountant and planned this through in relation to what will be in your pocket at the end of the day? Because from us having a look at it, maybe there's some other ways that you can could consider dealing with the business exit rather than you know, how you're proposing to deal with it at the moment. And they say, inevitably, they say no. And they go then go through that process. And it's just... It's like they continually <laughs> absolutely astounded at what the differences can be depending on, you know, how that how that structure looks and, and what the approaches are that we're using. But it just makes me think, you know, how often businesses just haven't been in close contact with their accountant as they're heading into an exit event to really understand what their structure looks like, what the options are for them, what the differences are at the end of the day in terms of what they get in their pocket. You're preaching to the converted. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Clearly, we're, you know, as an accountant and advisor to, to, to professionals and, and dentists, we, we love to be involved in the discussion and the planning process up front rather than coming at the end and try and rescue a mm. situation which may not be rescuable. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Well, this is what this is all about, Stephen, isn't it? We're trying to give uh, the warning signals so that, um, you know, people are listening to it now before they're thinking of exit because that's the point when you really should be thinking about it. Okay, so what are some of the things just generally um, that you should keep in mind in relation to structuring? And I'll kick, kick it off. Asset protection is certainly something to have a bit of a think about. So w- what else from an accounting perspective are the sorts of things that uh, you should be thinking about or, or bearing in mind, I guess? I guess it's most of the things are tax-driven. Mm. Um, so what are your long-term versus your short-term kind of tax expectations, the difference in tax on how you're annual revenue is treated versus a long-term gain you might make on on exiting the business, you know, revenue tax versus capital gains tax, the way the finances might work. So some structures are more easily, have easier access to finance, you know, banks you know, kind of understand some structures better than others. Mm. Those are probably the key, the key areas. And the, I guess underlying all of that is the the way our tax system works in relation to kind of revenue that you're earning and what that means for the structure you may or may not be able to choose to use. So what's an example of that? What do you mean the types of revenue? Yeah, yeah. so if, if I'm an employee and I turn up for work each day and earn a salary, I can't turn around to my employer and say, here's an invoice from my company which I've set up and uh, you're getting you're, you're going to be paying my company for my services because what I'm what I'm providing to my employer are my personal efforts, my personal services. And our tax system says that where where the remuneration that's uh, coming to someone is is for their personal effort, then uh, there's an expectation that that is going to be taxed to the individual. Mm. So this typically comes up with dentists and and medical professionals who are clearly at work uh, seeing patients day by day, their income is being earned off their own personal efforts. But we have in our tax system a distinction between a business activity, which is just earning income from that one person's activity versus 
a large medical practice, a law firm like yours, an accounting practice like ours, where you've got a whole collection of people generating income. Mm. In that circumstance, the profit that is being generated is what we would call business income. And that is able to be split within a structure to other people other than just the owners of the practice. Mm. Um, So understanding whether someone's generating personal services income, income from their own activity, or whether they've really got a legitimate business activity, they've got other people involved who are generating income as well, and the profit, therefore, is business income. That's a, that's a key distinction that, particularly in the world of medical professionals, we need to get over. Mm. I go to conferences a lot, I talk to people a lot, and quite often get approached about, you know, my accountant said to me, it's okay that I've set myself up in a company and I'm only paying 27% tax, even though they're just a sole practitioner carrying on business by themselves. Mm. The tax office looked at them. The, the tax office would not be saying, well done, accountant. They'd mm. be, they would be subject to audit and probably penalties because the tax system would not allow them to, to operate through a company and retain profits and pay tax in the company. So understanding that distinction is really important as part of that first choice of structure decision. And this is really something I, I think that is particularly important for medical and dental professionals, isn't it? Why, why is it that it's so important um, or prevalent to think about these industries, do you think, Stephen? Well, because most most medical professionals, unless they're an owner of a, or an owner or part owner of a, of a medical practice with other medical professionals, most of the industry is set up as sole, effectively sole practitioners. Mm. Uh, their contract is in someone else's business. But they have the typical industry structure is that they will be in receipt of 100% of the patient income from their billings and they will pay a fee across to whether it's a dental practice, uh, the medical practice from which they're operating, and they'll get to take home whatever the balance is as, as kind of their, their net income. Mm-hmm. And so most GPs who work in other medical centres or dentists who work in someone else's practice are kind of running their own little business. Mm. And it's really just, they're just, they're the only ones generating the income. If they don't see patients that day, then there's no income being generated. Mm. And so the tax system would say, that's personal services income. That's income being generated solely from your own efforts. And therefore, the expectation would be that you're going to pay tax on that in your own name. Even if you've set yourself up in a trust or a company, you won't be able to divert that income to your low-income earning spouse or your parents or your children. You will be taxed on that as an individual. Mm. And you're absolutely right. This is one of the interesting things uh, about this industry that is completely different. So if someone came in from almost any other industry and came in and had a look at the way the industry works in terms of all of these dentists or, you know, doctors out there sort of running their own little businesses and having this, you know, service, this relationship with the service entities, you know, it would sort of seem a little bit back to front to them a real bit like it, it is it's a different approach isn't it and why is it that way do you think I mean it, it's an interesting reflection well if the flip side is what else would they be that they'd be employees yeah that's right and no one wants to employ a dentist or a doctor because of a the perceived risk of I guess litigation mm-hmm. the medical practice is trying to distance itself in a uh, litigation sense, from the activities of the medical professional who's seeing patients within its doors. Mm. And up till now, it's also been, how do we minimise things like payroll tax? 
Mm. And there's a whole other discussion around what's happening in the well, payroll. Well, that's exactly right, isn't it? Yes, yes, um, that's right, that's right. But I do wonder, you know, if we take payroll tax out of it, there are is if there is this continued movement or you know a confirmation of this potential movement with issues with the payroll tax side in the way that these structures have been traditionally set up. I just wonder, you know, is that the real driver rather than risk in and of itself? Because it, it's in, it is interesting the way this industry is so different to most others. So anyway, I guess that's just a general statement and question out there. I just wonder, you know, may, maybe this is an area that will change quite a bit into the future. There are medical practices that are running different models mm. and are employing yeah. doctors yeah. and taking away that kind of perceived pressure around I've got to churn through as many patients in a day as I can or I've got to you know, fight with the Medicare system around, around billings in order to maximise my income. Mm. Uh, it's a different model, but uh, mm. it's not all, not all. There are, there are some moves within the industry to see different kind of models in place. Mm, interesting. Well, watch this space, as they say. <laughs> but anyway, today we're just talking about today. <laughs> yep. Uh, the, the, the situation as it is currently. Well, that's it for part one of our two-part series, all about the top tips in business structuring for dentists and medical professionals with Stephen Guthrie from Prosperity Advisors. Now, if you'd like more information about this topic, then head over to our show notes or our website at talkinglaw.com.au and at our website, you will get a free download on the transcript of everything that we talked about today with Stephen. If you enjoyed the content so much that you just want to read through it step by step, In fact, in areas that are complex like this, it can be really useful to uh, see the transcript. So that might be something that you find is useful for you if there's some things that we've talked about today that you found really um, interesting, perhaps a bit new, and you'd like to go and see more details about it. Also, at our website, you will be able to find out how to contact Stephen Guthrie and Prosperity Advisors, and you'll also be able to find out how to contact our lawyers at aspect legal. If you would like any help with any legal elements of the information that we covered today. Now, don't forget to come back to our next show, which is part two in this series, where we round off this discussion with Stephen and come to the end of um, our discussion on structures and really dig further into investment structures and premises ownership structures. So tune in to part two if you'd like uh, to hear the rest of this discussion. And of course, if you enjoyed what you heard today, then please pop over to iTunes and leave us a review. We'd be ever so grateful. And don't forget to press that subscribe button. Well, thanks again for listening in. You've been listening to Joanna Oki and Talking Law, a podcast proudly brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. See you next time. If you're a professional involved in business sales and acquisitions activity, for example, if you're a broker or an accountant or a business consultant, 
or if you're a business owner looking to expand by acquisition or you're building to sell your business in the future, check out Talking Law's sister podcast, The Deal Room. Together with Talking Law, these are now two of the top legal podcasts in Australia. The Deal Room podcast contains information, interviews and tips and tricks relating to the world of business sales and acquisitions. We love this area of law and thought it was high time we took some of our specialist knowledge and shared it in a commercial context, rather than just talking about legal stuff on its own. We release new episodes every Tuesday. You can listen to our episodes on www.thedealroompodcast.com or you can subscribe to The Deal Room Podcast on iTunes to be the first to know when a new episode is out. Just type in the search panel in iTunes, The Deal Room Podcast. Thanks for listening to Talking Law. Tune in next time for more smart legal tips and tricks to keep you clear of those legal landmines. If you want to get a download of today's show notes, head over to talkinglaw.com.au. Information in this podcast is general in nature, not legal advice. If you want advice for your business, visit talkinglaw.com.au.